The subcommittee will come to order. Without objection, the chair is authorized to declare recess at any... A few weeks back, the heads of Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google appeared before a House Judiciary Subcommittee on Antitrust Law. They were there to testify about the power wielded by their respective companies in relation to their competition. It was the first time that the CEOs of these giant tech companies appeared together before Congress. And Congress had a lot of questions. The hearing took five hours. So are you saying that these people aren't being truthful? Google's response was to threaten to delist Yelp entirely. Do you think they would choose to stay in a relationship that is characterized by bullying, fear, and panic? Towards the end of the hearing, Representative Pramila Jayapal directed a question to Sundar Pichai, Google's CEO. She wanted to know if Google Search was prioritizing Google-owned products over their competitors. Companies. Is Google steering advertising revenue to Google Search? Congressman, users come to Google Search. Uh, it is that traffic, and you know that's where uh, our source of revenue comes from. So we are focused on providing users the information they are looking for. We work hard to earn. That answer didn't exactly make headlines. But Chai didn't even finish before Representative Jai Paul asked her next question. But that rushed, seemingly innocuous answer we are focused on providing users the information they are looking for, marks a fundamental shift in the way Google thinks about what it is and what it does. They've made statements like this publicly where they believe their mission is to help users find information. And that is different from helping users navigate the web. This is Adrian Jeffries, an investigative reporter with The Markup. I noticed this trend personally because the way I use Google is as a search engine. I want to see what's on the web. I want to read through 20 websites about a topic when I'm researching something. What Adrian is describing is something more akin to the Google of 20 years ago. A page full of links in bright blue, all of them inviting you to explore a web page with just a click of your mouse. Larry Page, one of Google's founders, said in 2004 that the company's goal was to, quote, get you out of Google and to the right place as fast as possible, end quote. But now Adrian was noticing Google talk about its mission differently, that it's about finding information instead of navigating the web. And she noticed something else about how Google worked. Increasingly, when searching for something on Google, there was no need to then go and read 20 websites, no reason to get out of Google or click on any websites at all. So Adrienne and her colleague at the markup, Leon Yin, decided to put this observation to the test by running 15,000 searches to see where Google would point them. We wanted to see how much is Google trying to keep people inside Google's ecosystem, either with these direct answers that appear on the page so that you don't need to click any websites, or by sending people to a Google property like Google Flights or YouTube or Google Maps, or Waze, or, or any of the other places. Right. There's so many of them. Today on the show, Google's search engine is getting a lot of eyeballs on Google. And that's bad news for all the other businesses that rely on the dominant search engine to reach customers. I'm Celeste Headley, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Adrienne, along with her reporting partner, Leon Yin, wanted to measure exactly how often Google's search results were leading back to its own answers or own products. It was already clear that Google was pointing users back to its own products more and more frequently over the last decade. But the extent to which this was happening was unknown. So they started with the data. We grabbed the searches from Google Trends from this several-month period from October 2019 to January 2020, and it ended up being about 15,000 search queries. And we ran those queries ourselves, captured the page, and then we analyzed the page to see what stuff was Google, what stuff was not Google, where things were pointing. So you did 15,000 searches. Did you do them both on a desktop and a mobile phone? We did, actually. We ended up analyzing just the mobile searches for the study because Google actually sees more searches on mobile. I mean, the results are incredible. I think that in one particular case, you did a search and if you were looking at it on an iPhone, nothing was pointing outside of Google. Is that right? We broke it down two ways. We looked at the entire first page of search results. And when we looked at that, we found the average was 41% was Google ecosystem stuff. We also looked at the first screen on an iPhone 10. And when we looked at just that first screen, we did find searches where it was all Google stuff. On average, nearly half of the first page of results from a Google search directed the user to Google products, 41% of the page. On an iPhone 10, 63% of the first page was Google's own content. This is a 180-degree turn from the search engine's early design. Back in 2004, Larry Page gloated that Google was better than its competitors, AOL and MSN, because, quote, their search engine doesn't necessarily provide the best results. It provides the portal's results. Years later, Google is doing the same thing that Page criticized AOL for. There are basically two ways that Google will answer your queries directly on the page when you type a question. So if you want to know when is Valentine's Day, it'll pop up just the date in a box and you don't need the source for that. That date comes from Google's Knowledge Graph, which is a database of what they call entities, basically people, places, things, ideas. And Knowledge Graph is from sources that Google really vets. And there is some degree of humans saying, okay, can we trust CIA World Factbook? Okay, we'll take all of their data and put it into Knowledge Graph. The other way that you can get direct answers on the page is through a system called Featured Snippets. And this is where Google will look basically at the top ranking search result and grab some text out of the page and display it on the search results page. So you might get something from like WikiHow. It could be, you know, can, can my dog eat sushi? 
is an example I've used. Um, <laughs> that you've used before. Right. I mean, some of them are like, what are the symptoms of COVID? But then some of them are subjective. Uh, you pointed in one of your pieces to one where it said, how do I get a date? Right, exactly. I will say for the COVID stuff and in general for health queries, those usually go through the knowledge panel. They try to be really careful about certain categories. They call it your money or your life finance and health, because there's a lot of opportunity for misinformation and fraud. That being said, I have come across a lot of misinformation about MSG, for example, popping up in featured snippets. There's There have been a lot of examples of misinformation or offensive content ending up in those featured snippets, which doesn't look great for Google, because when you look at it on the search results page, it, it's got a box around it. It's at the top. It looks very authoritative, and it looks like Google is endorsing this answer. Misinformation is a problem, especially when that bad information is automatically scraped into these featured snippets and then displayed prominently at the top of search results. But Adrienne says this focus on providing answers has bigger implications. I spoke to Chris Cummings, who is the CEO of a company called Curiosity Media, And they have a site called SpanishDict.com, and it is a Spanish-English dictionary with some other Spanish-English learning resources. And he showed me what it looks like for searches that have a Google Translate box at the top and searches that don't. So if you search for, I think, Spanish Dictionary, you will get SpanishDict.com as the first result, and they get about 85% of the clicks on that search. But... For a search where Google Translate comes up first, that percentage drops to, he told me, about 2% click-through. So they could be the top results. So if you search for like tener or another Spanish word, Google Translate pops up that box at the top. It's like tener to have. The translation is right there. And then Spanish dict is right under it, the very top result under that Google Translate box. He said that's a 2% click-through. And he did show me, we were screen sharing, and he showed me some of these searches and how abysmal the click-through rate was. And he said something like, you know, if if we get 2% click-through, like there is no business to run here. We only exist because there are still some queries where they don't stick that box up at the top. And it's not just small businesses and individual sites like Chris's. The changes to search results can affect entire industries. Google really has started to reorient itself around figuring out exactly what the user wants and getting them as close to the answer as possible. So whereas in the beginning, Google might have said, "Okay, you're looking for a flight, we'll send you to a flight search engine. Now Google says, we don't want to send you from our search engine to another search engine. We want to get further down that funnel to get you closer to the thing that you're really looking for. So we'll just take over all of those steps in between. I mean, it's important to keep in mind the effect this has. And since you mentioned flights, this is a big bone of contention uh, because now Google has Google Flights and Google Hotels, and they really quickly became the market leaders. How does the change in how Google sees its core business affect the businesses that are trying to come up as a result on Google search? It affects them negatively and it hits them two ways, especially for travel, because not only is a site like Expedia getting less traffic from consumers searching on Google, 
all of a sudden, Expedia now has to pay more to Google to advertise in order to get more referrals. Expedia and Booking.com are, by third-party estimates, some of Google's biggest advertisers, like top 10. So it is a little odd to see Google competing against advertisers in this one vertical. Barry Diller, who was chairman of the Expedia group, basically called them out for this and said they're competing against their own advertisers. I think it's bad practice. And that dynamic is really true for everyone vying for attention on the web because Google has so many vertical businesses and it's answering these queries directly on the search results page when you're just looking for an information-based query. So it's hard to be publishing on the internet right now and not be competing with Google in some way. This isn't new. This is something that Google has seen Going back to at least 2006, 2007, there were emails that were published by the House Judiciary Antitrust Subcommittee from Google executives back in 2007, where they said, basically, we see that we're sending a lot of traffic to job sites. We've noticed because we have all of this data about what everybody on the web is searching, we're sending a lot of traffic to job sites. How do we get into that market? How do we get some of the money that we're sending toward monster.com and jobs.com? That's something that they have repeated over and over as they notice because of all the data that they have on what people are looking for online. They're seeing what people are searching for. They're realizing which categories are potentially lucrative. And then they're building their own products for those categories. For customers, this is not always bad news, or it may feel like an improvement. If I'm looking for the date of Father's Day in 2021, it's nice to see that answer immediately and not have to visit a website. I traveled a lot before the pandemic shut that part of my business down. And I remember discovering that I could type round-trip flight to London in the Google search box and get a list of possible flights right at the top. I didn't have to go to Expedia or Travelocity because the information was right there. It felt efficient, like I was saving a step or two. But I eventually discovered that Google Flights wasn't showing me all of the flight options. It's not ranked as the best airfare search engine, so I not only had to visit other websites to get all the options, but I had to page down past all the Google results in order to find those websites. It sounds like such a small change in behavior, but it matters. So what is happening, do you think, as a result? I mean, as you say, this has been going on for a while, and Google has been getting better and better and better at it. Um, What do you think the impact is of this? I think it's influenced what companies are starting up on the web. I think there are some areas that are a little bit off limits now. You're not going to start a flights aggregator nowadays because the space is so dominated by Google. And you're not going to start a maps company Some spaces are just sort of foreclosed. You're just like not looking for opportunities there. Antitrust experts will say that means we're missing out on innovation that we could have access to. And here we are, back at the antitrust hearings that took place recently. Even though it was the first time the CEOs from Amazon, Facebook, Apple and Google all testified together, it was far from the first time they've been accused of crowding their competitors out of the market. Google has been fined billions in Europe. It's also under investigation by 50 attorneys general. 
But Adrienne says the nature of Google's business itself and the way these internet giants are structured makes it more difficult than ever to measure the harm that monopolization can cause. It's really hard to quantify what we're missing out on, and I think that's one of the challenges that antitrust regulators face is establishing the harm to the market. Traditionally, you look at prices in antitrust and say, you've got a company that's dominating the market, they can control prices, they can arbitrarily raise prices, and people just have to pay them. But that dynamic has been so skewed by the business model of the internet, where you just give away your thing for free and then collect data and monetize that. So it's really hard to measure the harm that people are seeing from a free product. Are we sort of seeing the results of not knowing how to handle uh, Google and other tech companies like Facebook at their inception? I mean, was this just a, a fact that it, it <laughs> it's now a little bit late um, because so many years went by when we weren't entirely sure what we were looking at? I think that's definitely true. And I and there have been efforts to look at Google for exactly these issues in the past, even in the U.S. And in 2012, there was this investigation at the FTC into antitrust issues with Google. And one thing that struck me was all of these members of Congress wrote letters to the chairman of the FTC saying, we're really concerned that you're looking into Google. We've heard rumors that you're planning to use this section of the law in a way that we think is overreach. And some of them even had language that was like, Google is a great innovative company and American internet success story. And Google is still one of the most trusted brands, I think, by Americans. And I do think that helped them escape scrutiny for a long time, as well as these new internet business models that made it a little bit difficult to predict what long-term problems might come up with competition. Where do you see this going? Is there a plateau in how much Google information can come up as a result of a Google search? Have you reached the peak? I don't think so. I think Google will get better and better at answering people's queries, and it's already pretty good. If there is no regulatory intervention that stops the company from going down this path, I see it just accelerating. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Adrienne Jeffries is an investigative reporter at The Markup. You can read more of Adrienne and Leon's reporting at themarkup.org. That's it for today's show. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I'm Celeste Headley. Thanks so much for listening. I'm hosting TBD for the next month and would love to hear your thoughts about the show. So you can find me on Twitter. It's at Celeste Headley. Have a great weekend. Mary Harris will be back in your feed on Monday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.